Hey, what's up, everybody? This is John Odermatt, your host here on Felony Friday, and I want to try something new. Um, don't have an ad for you here or anything like that, but I have a request. So I want to try something with Apple Podcast reviews. Um, they're very important in podcasts, and they help you get more attention and eyeballs on your podcast. You get in the, uh, you know, you rank up in the categories, all that stuff. So I would like people to give five-star reviews. So I'm going to reward people who give us five-star reviews, review the podcast, say something nice, and then if after you do that, if you drop either a topic you'd like me to talk about, a question, and ask me anything, you know, you can ask me a random question, and I will address it on the show if it's if it's appropriate. But you can drop that after your five-star rating and your review, put what you want to talk about there on the show I will talk about it, and um, and it helps the show. It helps you influence the show. It's a uh, it's a win win. So please consider doing that. Make sure even if you listen on you know Spotify or Overcast or whatever, do it on Apple Podcast. They have the most control right now, so do it there, and uh, we'll see what happens. All right, thank you very much. Before we get started with today's show, I have one more thing I want to tell you guys. I want to talk to you about a great libertarian blog called The Liberty Theorist. It's on medium.com. You can find it at medium.com slash at sign Liberty Theorist. The Liberty Theorist is written by Brady Tracy. On the blog, Brady discusses all the shady things government has been up to and why libertarians are the only viable way to keep power out of the hands of government. Brady is a Rothbardian libertarian. He advocates on the blog for prison reform, and he calls out the insanity of locking people up for victimless crimes. He also writes about the need to end the welfare and warfare state and the spy state, and that free, true market capitalism is the only way to go. And socialism kills human production. And of course, the government should stay the heck out of your life. Go to medium.com slash at Liberty Theorist. He's also on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash the Liberty Theorist. Welcome to Felony Friday a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. What is Felony Friday? Felony Friday is a show where every single week we're going to do a deep dive and we're going to examine and expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Now, if this is your first time listening to Felony Friday, your first time listening to any of the shows we have here on Lions of Liberty, sit back, relax, enjoy the show, put your feet up. If you're driving, please don't put your feet up. But if you've been back several times, if this is a regular habit of listening, why haven't you subscribed? Or maybe you have subscribed. Thank you if you subscribed. But if you haven't, please do so. Whatever podcasting app you're listening on, please just scroll up to the top there, punch that subscribe button, and uh, you'll get every single episode of the Lions of Liberty podcast and of Felony Friday delivered to your little listening device. And also, if you really enjoy what you're hearing here, please think about uh, giving us a, a five-star rating and a review 
on uh, Apple Podcast, especially if you listen there, because it helps with the algorithms and all that crazy stuff. Without further ado, let's get rolling with today's show. All right, on today's episode of Felony Friday, uh, welcome back, Lynn Espeo, back to the show. She was previously on, back on episode 110, detailing the injustice in her case. And it was kind of unique in that Lynn came on before she served her sentence. So she's back now after serving her sentence. Uh, She was released on uh, home confinement uh, because of COVID-19. This happened pretty recently. We'll we'll get into the details behind that. But, I mean, a couple of things we're going to talk about. Lynn experienced a lot, a lot of uh, corruption, a lot of fraud, a lot of uh, violations of inmates' rights um, throughout her time uh, incarcerated at the federal prison camp in Bryan, located in Bryan, Texas. And, uh, you know, we'll get into all that stuff. Lynn had a blog she was writing that that they didn't like. We're going to talk about that, too. So let's get started. Lynn, welcome back to Felony Friday. Thanks, John, for having me back. Well, it's been quite a quite a journey for you, I'm sure, um, the, the past uh, past couple years here. And, you know, it was interesting, like I said at the top there, that you came on before you had your sentence. So I think you're the first guest that's ever done that. Um, so we kind of get to the, the review of what the, what happened, you know, exactly when you were in there. So let's start, I don't know, I, I guess before we get into the blog, let's start at the beginning. So the beginning of your sentence, you start serving your time. What was your mindset as you started? What was your, you know, state of mind? How were you looking to, to, to serve to serve that sentence? Well, as you know, I went to an eight-day jury trial and I fought my case from 2011 to 2018. Well, I went to trial in 17, but I finally self-surrendered in 2018. But I had said that I was going to kind of just go in there and lay low and um, do my time the easiest way possible. But once I got to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, I realized that um, I wasn't able to do that because there was too many things going on that had to be called out. Too many BOP program uh, statement violations. That's actually BOP policy that they are to follow. And I just couldn't sit silence once I got there because there's just too many things going on. And I saw too many women that aren't getting rehabilitated that were were actually coming back to prison during my time there. I actually saw inmates that were coming back in there during the 27 months I was was um, incarcerated because the BOP is not giving them any tools to go out into the free world and actually make it to where they can come back. And I saw a lot of fraudulent activity on behalf of staffs at the BOP. And I also saw a lot of inmate rights being violated. And as you said, FPC Braun is supposed to be a federal camp. It's supposed to be the minimal, minimal, the lowest security you can get. It's supposed to be minimal security. And they were not treating women like they were at a camp. They were treating women like they were there to be punished. And that is not supposed to be the mission of the BOP. The mission of the BOP is supposed to be to help inmates reintegrate back into society in a way that can help them become better people. And I saw none of that. All the programs there were fraudulent. Um, They had inmates teaching GED classes, but yet on paper, they were showing staff teaching these classes. They were bribing inmates with lollipops for when uh, there would be a 
program review from people from the outside would come in to for the inmates to lie and say that they were being taught by staff when they were actually being taught by other inmates. Every every class there was taught by another inmate. They had um, inmates. I was even asked to lie on an application and take college classes, which I'm assuming they were going to get money for. And I already had a BBA in accounting and a BBA in finance, and I only needed one internship to have my master's. And I was being told not to put that on an application and to take classes. Now, I ended up tutoring on my own in the unit women that took these classes and helping them pass their business classes just because I wanted to see women succeed. But they tried to get me, a staff member tried to get me to take those classes. I also took cosmetology there, and that's that's a huge fraudulent program there. They're giving hours uh, for a federal grant program that they're getting that the inmates are not doing those hours. So there's a lot of fraud besides misappropriation of money. I saw frivolous money being spent, your taxpayer dollars being spent ordering things. At the end of the year, they will just order all sorts of stuff, and then half of it would disappear, and never we would never see it. So it went home with staff. What what type like what type of stuff? Can you think uh, of an example? TVs. Really? Uh, yeah. One time, uh, I was the reentry clerk at when I first went to Brian. So I worked inside the education department, mm-hmm. and it was at the end of the year, and they had like twenty thousand dollars that they just needed to fr- just just blow, just so they wouldn't lose it for the following year. And they were coming around, like, just letting inmates that were their favorites order all kinds of just junk, basically. And then they spent twenty or $30,000 on chairs we didn't need just to spend the money. There was, like I said, a time oh, when TVs... so ridiculous. It's, it is crazy. And let me tell you, the food they feed is horrible. A lot of it was years past the expiration date. There was some of it um, on the box that said, not for human consumption, so what? there's just a lot of, yes. And, and I've heard that from inmates at other facilities as well. It's not just Brian. They feed meat that, like I said, when everybody that goes to Brian, there's some rule that you have to work in the kitchen for, for 90 days, okay? So the first job they assign you to is the kitchen. Well, because I have a screw in my ankle, I was not able to wear the uh, boots. I was actually not supposed to buy BOP policy by their own OSHA policy at that facility, their own safety policy, I was not even supposed to work in the kitchen. But that didn't stop them. I mean, there were poor women in there with in walkers that couldn't even stand up. They were making to work, work that couldn't wear the boots. So they violate those kind of rights as well. But anyway, the first job you get is working in the kitchen. And the first day I'm told to put this cereal out and I'm like, wait a minute, this is February of 2000 or it probably was into March by now, 18. And this says it expired in 2014. How like, do they even well, have that? Like that's- they, yes, there was a lot of time. I mean, when you first go there, your stomach stays totally upset from the food. It's horrible. Like what they feed. I, they also, their medical there is really bad. For instance, one year uh, we were having a virus go around and a lot of the people that had this stomach bug or food poisoning or whatever the case was, was kitchen workers. And they don't let those people go get well. They make them go to work and work and cook food and serve food to other inmates. So it just like started running rampant through the compound, this virus. In fact, I, I got it. 
and they were telling me that I had to get up and go to work regardless. And I had uh, one of the guards, you know, was telling me he was going to write me up and ship me off the compound. And I had actually had a note from medical saying that I didn't have to go to work that day because I was sick because I really had gotten so dehydrated. I couldn't even stand up. And this guard at four 30 in the morning is telling me to get up and go to work anyway, and was forcing me to basically scoot down the stairs because my stomach was hurting so bad. I couldn't even stand up straight. And he literally pushed me out in a office chair that was sitting there with wheels on it out to a four wheeler that the guards drive all over the compound in and took me over to the kitchen and told me I had to go to work regardless. Now I'm sick throwing up, dehydrated, Mm -hmm. have whatever bug. And so I'm basically passing this on to whoever else is eating in the cafeteria. Right. But that went on all the time. I saw inmates that almost died there. Their medical care was horrible. I mean, I've, I've seen an inmate they let go so long, they pulled a tooth for this particular inmate, and the inmate got a dry socket, and medical... The, the roommates of this inmate kept taking this person to medical and they kept saying, we're too bad. We're not going to do anything until the inmate had blisters in their mouth. They, they could not even, they were having to sit up to breathe, to sleep. Finally, this inmate passed out in the floor and one of the guards called an ambulance and they had to have a tracheotomy um, from in the ambulance and the doctors at the hospital. And this is just one case. There was many. I saw a lady whose appendix ruptured. They wouldn't take her to do anything. I just told you about the skin cancer issue that I have right now mm-hmm. that I was showing them for like over a year. And they were telling me no big deal. Even though when I went to Brian, I took my own personal medical records that said I needed to see the dermatologist every six months because I had already been having things burned off that were reoccurring. But yet I was in prison for 27 months and I never saw the dermatologist. And, you know, as I told you, I had to have some biopsies that came back actual cancer, not pre-cancer any longer. And it's because they would not take me to the doctor. I saw a lady that um, she was on seizure medicine. She told them, "Um, this isn't the medicine that I'd been taking. And they told her, too bad, shut up. Yes, it is. She kept getting sicker and sicker to the point she came in like in her thirties and was a healthy individual, except for she did have seizures. By the time she left, she was on a walker and they had to send her to Carswell to the medical center because they almost killed her because she was on the wrong meds apparently. And they kept making her go to work at the kitchen, telling her like they do everybody, well, you're faking. You just don't want to go to work. And to the point that her liver was so damaged that they said they didn't know she she may never recover. They let a lady die that had the flu that turned into pneumonia. She was in her 60s. She worked in the kitchen. They made her go to work in that condition. And she literally ended up dying. I know a lady that had heart issues and she had a hernia and the hernia was hanging down. It looked like she was pregnant. This hernia was hanging down so far. And one day her heart was acting up and they called from the unit and said, hey, this lady's heart's messing up. She may be having a heart attack. They told her to walk to medical, which was a good fourth of a mile from the units. And she actually had a heart attack on the way to medical because they were too lazy to come to the unit. And that's just some of the stories. There was many people I saw that they, a lady that had cancer, they waited till her leg got so bad it had to be amputated and she had to be sent elsewhere. They you, need will to, not you need to write a book. I think is what you oh, need I'm to do planning on it. 
I, I, my blog, you know, my blog inside the walls. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that. Time. Yeah. Um, they had no issue with my blog until about nine months into my incarceration. So, so uh, first, because, before we get to that, so how do you write? So what, what are the restrictions on writing a blog while in prison? How does that work? Well, there's actually no BOP policy against it because they can't silence your voice. They tell you they can, but if you uh, become a policy guru like I became because I just wanted to learn the policies, I, I saw them violating so many rights that I, I was like, I can't sit by and, and not say anything. This is, this is not right. So, you know, they tell you you can't, but the truth is you can. Now, they write false shots to inmates every day. Uh, they wrote, in fact, they wrote me three false shots, but I beat every one of them because they were false and I knew policy and I just turned it right back on them. And like I told you, I became kind of the go-to person for policy with other inmates because, you know, a lot of inmates get false shots. So in, inmates started coming to me and when, I just when you, started, say, when you say false, false shots, can you explain what that means? Well, a shot is an instant report, meaning the BOP, a staff member says you have violated um, a rule, a policy that the inmate is supposed to follow. Mm -hmm. And you lose commissary, you lose phone, you lose email, you lose video chats, you can lose good time. And what I saw at Brian was they definitely overpunished inmates. You didn't just lose one of those things. They would take multiples and sometimes all of them, including trying to take good time days. Because what I learned by being at the BOP is that it's all a numbers game about with them. They don't want to let people out. They don't want to rehabilitate and let women out. They're trying to keep people there for the money. And we can get into that later. How while I was at Bryan, I saw them overpopulate the place. Well, I want to, I do want to talk about that at some point, but um, your question about the instant report, the shots, it does help them punish, you know, inmates and, and again, take good time that makes them have to stay in the BOP for longer periods. But they took great offense to my blog about nine months into my incarceration. When I first got to Brian, Mainly what I blogged about was my feelings of, of self-surrendering, uh, you know, how it was to be at a federal prison camp, you know, be taken away from your family, things like that. It was more mm -hmm. a personal uh, journal ongoing. Um, as you know, my blog started out about my case. I, I started out blogging at my frustration with being innocent and being accused of a crime, going to trial, losing, being sentenced to 45 months for, you know, something I didn't do. And just trying to blog about my case. So that's how my blog started. Then I continued when I got to Brian. And the way, the way I would get my blog published was I have a friend and I would email it to her. She was an approved contact. So I would write whatever I wanted her to post and I would email it to her. And she would log into my blog site and she ran it for me while I was gone. And she would post whatever it was I wrote. Mm -hmm. Well, about nine months into my incarceration, I wrote a blog, and, uh, and the title of it was Corruption at the BOP. And I started talking about the corruption I was seeing at Bryan, Texas. As soon as I wrote that so what, blog... In that, in that blog post, do you remember any specific examples that you called out of corruption? I did call out the one about them uh, trying to get um, inmates to lie on applications so mm -hmm. that they could get paid. I talked about the Cosmo, uh, the... the 
the fraudulent hours in a, and I got removed from that program at the time because of it too. I got targeted. I did fight and get my senator involved and I fought them with um, administrative remedies, which is uh, a BP-8, a BP-9, BP-10, and 11, which is an inmate's right to uh, have a grievance, I guess, against the BOP would be the best way to, to tell your listeners what that is. But I did fight them and I actually got back in the, the program. Uh, it took me three months of fighting the BOP and getting my, my state senator involved. But at any rate, they took great offense to my blog when I posted the one about the uh, fraudulent corruption at Bryan. And I was actually called into the lieutenant's office. I was placed in the SHU that they have there, which is uh, the solitary housing unit. But they they did not have at Bryan a long-term SHU. They had to ship you off the compound at the time, they were shipping inmates to Waco. Um, since then, they now ship them to Houston. They have contracts with holding facilities because uh, Brian is a standalone camp. It is not, a lot of camps are like satellite. There, there's an FCI there or a higher level security to where they send the inmates over to the higher level security shoe as punishment. But at Brian, they're a standalone camp, so they didn't have anywhere to send you to the shoe, but they did have a temporary shoe um, within inside the lieutenant's office back behind it between it and medical. So they put me in there for uh, a little bit over two hours. That's as long as I think they can hold you in that one. And they actually told me they were shipping me and that I was going to get shipped. And, you know, this happened on December 21st, 2018. And like I said, I had self-surrendered on February 26th of 18. So I'd been there, you know, not even 11 months, 10 months when this happened. But I blogged about the corruption. And like I said, I got, I, I received an instant report. They said that I had violated uh, BOP policy 296, which said I was doing three-way uh, mail. Now, mind you, they do not have, this is how behind the BOP is. They do not actually have a video, internet, or um, email policy. They have a mail, U.S. mail policy, and they have a phone policy. So they used the U.S. mail policy and wrote me up and said I was circumventing mail. So circumvention means that I was communicating in a way that was illegal, meaning that um, a lot of inmates have people they're blocked from, from talking to. VOP policy says in general that an inmate can, um, can communicate with the population at large. In other words, anybody out in the free, unless you're blocked from them. However, if you are trying to communicate with someone that you're not allowed contact with, that is circumvention. For instance, there were inmates that had a boyfriend that was locked in prison somewhere or a husband and they did not have communication. They were not allowed communication. They would like write a letter, mail it to their family. Then their family would mail it to that person. Then that person would mail a letter back to the family and they would mail it into the inmate. Yeah, that is, is true circumvention. That I mean, is it's honestly, it's only, I mean, my opinion on it is it's ridiculous to think that the BOP could prevent people from doing that. Like, well, right. Of but course, it of course it's going to happen. It is against their policy and it yeah. is called circumvention. But what I was doing was directly mailing, emailing to my friend, Kathy, who I had approved contact with. She was mm -hmm. approved in my contacts for me to communicate with. 
And I was emailing her and she was posting it. There is no BOP policy that says if I email you something, you can't post it wherever you want to, or that you can't run a social media account for me or a blog Mm -hmm. or any, you know, any kind of like Facebook or anything. An inmate can still have that if someone's outside running it. I mean, I can't. There's a lot to do too. Yeah. There's a lot of inmates to do a Facebook account. Absolutely. And, and what it is, is there's no policy against it, but they try to make you think there is because they don't want you putting out what really goes on, you know, on the internet there. They want to try to keep quiet. They understand. I'm sure people tell their family things, but they don't like it when you're being very vocal about their fraudulent activity. So they wrote me up for this circumvention and um, I was called in. I was served it by the lieutenant's office and then I had to go before what's called your unit team, meaning that um, your unit team is like your counselor, your case manager, the unit manager, which is the people over your unit you live in. A unit is, is where the inmates live. So you have to go before them and they're telling me that, you know, I'm guilty of this. And I'm saying, well, I disagree with you because here's what this policy says on 296. And I said, so here's my list of questions on how I violated this policy. Mm -hmm. So I've written out a list of questions like, what did I do that circumvented? Who did I communicate with? I didn't have a right to. Uh, Why is it that you're trying to violate my First Amendment rights to freedom of speech? Okay, so they didn't like it. Let me ask a quick, quick question. Did you even have anybody you weren't allowed to communicate with? No, absolutely not. So right there, you can't. I don't even have anybody that I I wasn't allowed to communicate with, okay? So, you know, that being said, um, a 296 is a serious shot. The most serious shot you can get, incident report, is a 100 series. The next most serious is two, then there's three and four. The three and four level are decided at the institution. The one and two level has to go before something called a DHO, which is a disciplinary hearing officer. The, the one that was the disciplinary hearing officer at the time I received this incident report was a Mr. Bickle, and he was at the regional office in Grand Prairie, Texas. So I went and looked up policy on incident reports, and I, I got all my ducks in a row, and I said, I want uh, a staff representative, and I knew who I wanted, someone that they didn't like and someone that was going to be for me, not for them. And this particular person, I talked to him on the side and said, hey, here's what they say I did. I disagree. And he goes, well, I agree with you. You didn't do it. He goes, you're right to fight it. So I go in there and I say his name, that I'm going to use him as my staff representative. And so they're not used to inmates knowing this stuff. So they, they're freaking out right there. Well, I, I, I don't think you can have that. I, and I just pull the policy right out and I say, Well, let me just show you right here where it says that policy such and such says, and I start quoting this policy and their eyes get huge because they're not used to inmates that are, you know, that are going to go do all this research. So I, I, um, I tell them what my rights are and I said, oh, and by the way, here's my list of questions and I want these to be sent to the DHO officer that I'm going to be going before. And I'm going to need these answered prior to me going before this DHO officer, because I'm going to need to prepare my defense for what you say I did. So, and I told him, I said, and also you can let the DH officer know that I will be filing a lawsuit against the BOP for violation of my first amendment rights to freedom of speech. If this goes any further. Now, mind you, my unit team is telling me at this time that, oh, yes, you violated this. You know, yes, you're definitely going to be found guilty. I said, okay, 
we'll see. So I go back to my room. It wasn't 20 minutes. I was called back down there and they told me, oh, by the way, um, Regent says that this is being a sponge. There's now no record of it. Um, all the, the stuff that they made me sign, they would not give me a copy of. So I wrote them up for that. Never got a copy of it. I did have the original incident report and I still to this day have it. In fact, I'm going to post it soon on my blog when I write about how I was targeted and retaliated against it, Brian. But um, I had made copies trying to get it off that compound, mailed it to my husband several times, never could get it off the compound. So finally, I mailed it to my senator under what's called special mail to where they can't even open it. And I took it straight up to the mail uh, person myself. And I said, uh, if this does not get to my senator, we will have an issue because you cannot open special mail and it has to go to him. So at any rate, he did get that. My husband was able to get a copy of it. And I finally... Um, put, I was mailing some books home in a box and I finally hid the, my copy that I kept of it in a book when I mailed it home to my husband. And when I got home, I went to that book in my box and got it out. So I have the original as well. So they expunged it and they got rid of the proof, but they couldn't get rid of the shot they had actually served on me because mm -hmm. they have to give you a copy of that when, when you go to lieutenant's office. So I was served in that time frame three false shots. They said that um, I went to, I was out of bounds because I used the bathroom in education. I was not out of bounds. It was just something they were, they were not used to inmates who would actually stand up to them. So every time I got a shot, I just went in there and said, okay, I'm going to fight this one too. You know, whatever. They would shake my locker down, throw all my stuff out, tear up stuff, you know, target me like that. Um, a lot of the officers would be like, oh, Espejo, I know who you are. And I'm like, well, good. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know you know my name. Thank you. Um, and I even had officers that were cool with me that would come up and say, oh, yeah, Espejo, I hear all about you. And I'm like, really? What do you hear? They're like, oh, I want to stay on your good side. Because I did become known to put paper in their life. And that means writing BP8s, 9s, 10s, and 11s. The BP-8 is an informal resolution, meaning that you, um, you give it to your counselor and they try to resolve it with the staff member. And if they supposedly resolve it, it doesn't go in their file. Then the nine goes to the warden. But you have to get to a 10 to get to region and an 11 to get to Washington. And so I will tell you. What's an example of something? You said you, you wrote a couple of these up. Like, What, what would be something that you wrote? Well, we had a guard that was violating rights. He was targeting um, lesbian women, and he was calling them those as identifies other and it. And I, I took great offense to him doing that, mm -hmm. even though I'm not lesbian. It's just the point. You're not going to mistreat someone like that. Uh, they have their right to their their personal beliefs. And he would call, uh, call us hood rats and cochinas, which means filthy, dirty pigs in Spanish. He would target specific inmates. For instance, if he did count and he thought you looked at him weird or something during count, or he may have thought you whispered to your roommate during count. You know, we have the four o'clock count, the 10 o'clock count that's standing counts that you have to stand up and they come around and count. Guards do. That's at every institution, BOP wide. So if he thought you moved wrong or looked wrong or whatever he thought, he would announce to the entire unit, well, you just lost your TV and common area tonight because of room such and such. So he would actually try to pit inmate against inmate 
which is a huge violation of BOP policy because you're creating an unsafe living environment, first mm. and foremost, and you're supposed to be there to, to keep order and security. How you know? insecure does that guy have to be to be doing shit like that? That's Well, he, it was crazy. He, he did a lot of things. He, he would at mail call. He would, uh, if an inmate missed mail call the night before, which you're not required to come to mail call. First and foremost, there's no policy requiring me to go pick up my mail. I mean, if I don't want my mail, that's my prerogative, right? So he would uh, try to embarrass the inmate. He would tell them, um, I'm going to write you a shot or you can get your chair. And when I do mail call tonight, you'll be sitting by the desk up here where he did the mail call. So he just tried to intimidate, um, humiliate, demean, you know, all that is a violation of a BOP policy as well, because it says staff is not to demean or retaliate or, you know, any of those things to inmates. You're not, inmates cannot be cussed by staff and, and the staff does it all the time. So I wrote staff up for, for that. I mean, you know, you don't get to tell me to stop effing flapping my gums. I mean, and he's telling this to everybody, not just the person that he's talking to. And mass unilateral punishment is also a violation of BOP policy. And when you're taking away the common area, which is where the tables are and the seating area inside the unit for everybody to use, and that's where the TVs are also, and you're saying you can't watch TV, you can't be in the common area, you, can, you, know, you can't do this, you can't do that, only because he got mad at one room during count, you know, you're punishing an entire unit for one person's behavior or what he thought was one person's behavior. He would, at mail call, he would, like, throw mail at people. He would sit there and read people's mail out loud. He had no right to do that. In fact, BLP policy states... It's a federal that, crime, isn't it, to be doing, well, to be doing that? It does say guards, staff members are able to read your mail. They're able to look at it. But the policy strictly prohibits them from actually even discussing my mail with another staff member unless it's for security reasons. He would sit there and start reading mail out loud. Now, R&D, uh, which is receiving uh, and discharge, they are the ones that are over the receiving of the mail, and they're the ones that approve what mail comes in. So the mail that comes to the unit has already went through the screening process and has been approved for the inmate to have. This particular guard would start you know, critiquing it and saying, wasn't this person just here a few months ago? You know, and there's no policy that says you can't communicate with an inmate that just left. Now, if you're on pr probation, I think there's sometimes probation officers will prohibit you from talking mm -hmm. to somebody, but that has to be a specific thing. And then it would be the inmate that's on the outside that would have to deal with that, not the people still left behind that are getting the mail from the inmate that left, right? So he would start saying, well, this inmate was just here. Wasn't they just, wasn't they just at this facility, you know, and critiquing mail? Or he would tell, he told a woman one night, um, he said, uh, you get a whole lot of books. What are you doing, selling these? She's like, no, I'm an avid reader. In fact, she ran the library. She had a library in our unit that she shared these books with. We all, everybody liked that we got books. We all donated them, and she made sure there was plenty to read for inmates, right? Mm -hmm. So he's critiquing her, and the policy says you can get five books per day. You can get, as long as you don't get any more than five a day, you can get them every day. You can't have all these stored in your locker or stored somewhere, but like I said, she ran this library, so there was a spot that they were allowed to be stored for us to check out and things. 
So he told her, well, if you keep getting this many books, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stop letting you have them. And he had no right to any of this, to, mm-hmm. to say any of this. And he wasn't particularly targeting me because, you know, he never really messed with me. But just because I didn't feel that what he was doing to other inmates was right, I took a stand against him and wrote him up. Then after that, he tried to target me. He came to my room and, and told me to get out. and He was going to search it. And um, the first time he took an orange jug I had, it was like an orange thermos. And I couldn't get it back because I didn't have proof of purchase because um, another inmate had left that when one of my roommates, when she went home, had left it. So he, he was able to keep that. He didn't have to give it back to me. And then he came another night and he told me to get out and he was going to search our room. And he told me, he goes, and don't worry, I've already taxed you the last time, meaning he took the orange jug. And I just stood there and looked at him. I mean, I was like, who are you, the IRS? You don't get to tax me for anything. So I wrote him up for that. And I, I wrote him up for a lot of things. Um, I don't, when I was in Oklahoma, as you well know, I, I left Brian and I was in the process of relocating to another camp when I was released from the transfer center at Oklahoma. But um, when I was in Oklahoma, I was actually served with an affidavit uh, from higher ups from that write up wanting me to sign off on it, saying that I agreed that he had done all these things and I did sign it. So I do know they're investigating him. Now, knowing the BOP, they're probably just investigating him on paper but I do know even other guards didn't care for him. So it's possible something could happen because I know he got in a, the face of a female guard also besides, you know, uh, what, the way he treated inmates. He also, he would, he would just make horrible comments though. He would make racial comments to inmates. He would make, like I said, derogatory comments to people with their sexual orientation. But he's just one of the many guards there that mistreat inmates. He's just an example of it. Hey, everybody, taking a quick break here from the show. Wanted to remind you all to check out uh, my man Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song, Free Ross. If you didn't hear my recent interview with Lynn Ulbricht, that was episode Felony Friday, episode 230. Interviewed Lynn Ulbricht, played Tyler's song, uh, Free Ross. It's fantastic, phenomenal. Not just for uh, the message of freeing Ross Ulbricht, but overall for changing the broken criminal justice system. All the proceeds from uh, the Free Ross song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man. You can find it on Spotify and Amazon, Amazon Music. 100% of the proceeds from the song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man, go towards freeing Ross Ulbrich. So please check it out. These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes and they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide. New slave play, but they barely pay you. Don't care about work ethic or major. So, so they moved you out of um, Bryan, Texas to Oklahoma. What was the reason for that move? Was that something? Yeah, well, here's the funny part I should have been furloughed, and I was told. I wanted to leave Brian and go to Carswell because it was closer for my husband to drive. And I was just really sick of Brian. The, I had, I had been called in again and put in the shoe again for also blogging again by a new Lieutenant. And I had to school him and tell him, Hey dude, we've already been down this road like a year and a half ago. So don't make me write you up. You know, we've, I've already won once about this blogging. So, and he was telling me, well, I'm flagging your emails and I'm sending them to SIS, meaning, you know, the investigative authorities there. I'm like, uh, okay, great. 
you know, like I told you, we've already been down this road. In fact, he got really mad at me. He stuck me in the shoe for two hours again because when he told me he was flagging my email, I said, well, it wasn't a Russian flag, was it? You're not a communist, are you? And, oh, he did not like that at all. <laughs> and then um, he was telling me, you know, he was going to, you know, had me shipped. And I'm like, well, okay, great. So he put me in the shoe for another two hours. So the next morning I was leaving breakfast and I happened to see the warden and um, she had gotten plenty of emails from me and I got a rapport going with her because I would just go right up to her and say, look, here's what your staff is doing and here's what I'm going to do about it. Um, I had reported a PREA, possible PREA, meaning a sexual uh, against the sexual rape uh, act that is that staff own inmate sex. And I had reported that and they called me in, this same lieutenant, and they had one of the uh, psycho psych psychologists in there, and they were trying to force me to take back my reporting of it. And I wow. said, not going to do it. Uh-uh, not going to, because, you know, the, the chaplain's having sex with inmates. This guy over in the kitchen's having sex with inmates. These are all staff members, and I'm, I'm not going to take it back. In fact, you do whatever you want to me. And I wish you would send me to the shoot for this because then region will come and speak to me and I'm going to tell them all about everything going on here more than I've already written to them and wrote you up for. And so they put me in the shoot for two hours and the captain called me in and told me I shouldn't be discussing this things with staff. And I was like, yeah, you can't silence me. So, you know, I shouldn't be blogging about it. Well, too bad. I'm, I'm not going to stop. And I flat told him that not going to stop. So I saw the warden the next morning. I told her, I said, you know, your staff don't like me here. And I'm really, I'm, I'm really getting tired of fighting all these battles. Anyway, I'm about to be out in a year. How about I just transfer to Carswell and you sign off on it and let me get out of here. And so she was like, you know, acted like she would do it. So I went to my counselor, uh, my case manager, and I told her I wanted to transfer to Carswell only. If I cannot go to Carswell, which is 50 miles up the road, then I'm going to stay right here where I'm at and continue to basically hold y'all accountable. So either help me get out of here to Carswell, or I'll just stay right here and we'll just keep going through these same processes. Mm -hmm. So she told me, okay, well, she put that in on a Monday. The following week, I get called in and told, uh, pack my stuff, I'm going on the airlift. Okay. Back in November of last year, I had fought for and won a furlough, a 12-hour furlough with my husband. And I was told a white collar person could never have one. That was Brian's rule. After I got my furlough, a lot of white collar people started getting them because I set kind of a trail for them to be able to say, well, Spayo got one. She's white collar. So I got a furlough. I got to leave the prison for 12 hours and go out into the community with my husband. He, he came to Brian, Texas and picked me up. And mm -hmm. we, we could stay anywhere 100 miles within a hundred miles of the, of the uh, prison. I got to go to the mall. We got to go out to eat, pedicure, whatever I wanted to do, you know, for 12 hours. So there was no reason for me to be put on an airlift when I'd already had a social furlough. I should have been allowed. And I was told mm. when I put in to transfer that, and I, that was another stipulation. I said, if I will be allowed to furlough, meaning my husband will pick me up and carry me up to, to uh, Carswell, considering I'm self-surrender, I've already been out on a, furlough you know there's no reason for me to be shipped and they they assured me that would be fine 
Yeah, there's and no threat. There's no threat of you trying to, you know, escape and uh, exactly. run away. And I was like almost to the door. Like by the time I'd almost, I'd been there two years by the time I left Brian. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm not going to, you know, if I'm going to self-surrender for a crime I didn't commit and I'm going to be there for two years, you know, and I'm all, I'm going home and, you know, should have went home in November this year. I did get out early, but why would I run away then? That's just crazy. But, but since we are speaking of running away, uh, just so you know, an inmate did walk away from Brian this morning at six thirty. It's on the news right now. So really? there was one that left, but uh, that's very out of, out of the camp. Yes, very rare, mm-hmm. very rare. But anyway, so I was told yes, I would be able to furlough, and yes, I would go to Carswell, or I could just stay there. Right. Well, come a week later. I mean, they processed my paperwork like double quick. So a week later, I'm called and told to pack my stuff. I'm leaving the next day on the airlift. Now, mind you, that's con air. That is being handcuffed and shackled, belly chained, the whole nine yards. I've never even had handcuffs on. I was never even arrested, you know, in the first place ever. I was just told to report to pretrial, and I was out on, you know, pretrial the whole time until I self-surrendered. So I've never been in a jail cell, never been handcuffed, any of this. So there was no reason for someone who I'm minimal security. I was community custody by this time because Brian starts everybody out at out custody. But that was another thing I brought to their attention that you're violating my rights because I should have always been community custody. And I had made them change that back like, you know, a year before. So I was community custody. I was minimum security. My pattern score was a negative 17, which is that's the new risk assessment that the First Step Act put into place. So I was a negative 17 on the pattern and I was minimal. So there was no reason ever for me to have to go to Oklahoma, the transfer center, which is a higher security level. And you're actually in a cell locked up. You're actually behind a closed steel door and you're only out certain hours a day. It's not at the camp. You're in a room at certain times. You have to go to your, your cell, they call it, but it's, there's no door. It's, you know, an open space. Do you think they sent you on, you know, con air and, through that whole ordeal to Oklahoma as retaliation? Absolutely, I do. And it's because I wouldn't take back the PREA at the time because uh, I had been blogging about it, about their possible PREA violations, because they would push them under the rug. They would try to hide them. And as you know, Coleman's had PREA. You had Lauren Reynolds on. Coleman's had a bunch of PREA, uh, Aliceville. There, it's going on at Hazleton. It's going on at Alderson. I can, I can tell you from being in Oklahoma and talking to other inmates that have been at other female facilities, it's widespread. Okay? So they're, they're trying to hide their PREA violations is what they're trying to do. They don't want, want them out there. In fact, most everybody that's ever gotten investigated at Brown has been exonerated. The staff member has. Okay. In fact, they usually ship the inmate off of the of the compound, so the inmate can't really uh, be part of the investigation. And mm-hmm. as far as I, I, my understanding is, that happens, you know, at other facilities as well. So, and they're investigating themselves. Absolutely, so like, it's, the BOP. Like, it's not like it's a neutral third party. It's just the no. BOP investigating themselves. No, and the thing about their admin remedy, the BP eights and things. They they hold those up. They try to force they they try to frustrate the inmate to where they give up. And most inmates do. Not many are persistent like I was and would just keep on writing them up. Like I learned the policy, and I would be like, "Well, your twenty days is up, and you didn't extend, and you didn't, you know, you didn't give me an answer. So guess what? I'm moving up to the nine, and then you know after that, I'm moving up mm-hmm. to the ten, and 
uh, in fact, on some of my write-ups, I would, I would really put at the end of it, I would be like, and just so you know, this is going to go all the way to an 11 because I want Washington to know, to know what you're doing here. So, you know, I was, not, I was not a staff favorite, needless to say. I was told several times by a um, unit team that I was just going to bring a lot of problems on myself for helping other inmates. And I told him, I was like, well, I'm very sorry, but if, if staff are going to violate other inmate, inmate rights and they come to me for help, even if I don't even agree with their stand on something and someone wants me to help them with policy, I'm darn sure going to help them because I can assure you all of y'all are covering for each other. Mm-hmm. It's funny, though, because my unit manager, we did not get along. In fact, I wrote her up several times as well. And uh, when, when the hair dryers would go out or irons would go out in our unit, they would all come to me as Spayho. Can you please get us an iron or hair dryer? Because as soon as you write something, they're going to get it to us, you know. So I'd send her an email, and sure enough, that day, we'd, you know, we'd get that item because she knew if, if they didn't, I was going to call policy on them because it does say in the trust fund policy that they have to provide those things. So you can't just not give them to, to the inmates. So, you know, I, I, would, I would get called by inmates to do things like that that I guess further alienated me from staff, but I didn't care because the point was you shouldn't have to even go through all those links to get them to do what is their job to start with. What a funny thing is, is half of them come to work maybe once a week, and when they're there, they'll, they'll put up a sign that they won't even see you. And, you know, when you're trying to see unit team, you really need need to see those people because those are who are putting in for your halfway house or if you have any other issues trying to get visitation. I had to write up one of the counselors because she wasn't approving visitation. They're supposed to approve those as soon as possible so people can get visits. And there was women there that six months had been there and still couldn't get a visit because this this one counselor wasn't doing her job. So I wrote her up. Well, that very night, there were just a flood of them came to the desk and people were coming up to me going, oh my gosh, thank you. I've been trying to see my you know husband for six months and now he's finally approved because you wrote this woman up today. You know, it was just things like that that shows you that they could have done those jobs already. It shouldn't have took me calling policy on them or writing them up to get them to do what they should have been doing to start with. They just don't care. They, just, they don't. Yeah. And it's sad. But the day before I left, when I was being uh, shipped out like this, I could tell, I felt like my unit manager wasn't part of it. She didn't act like she was very happy about it. And she did try to help me get, um, on a, onto a furlough. And there was another lady there, a staff member that really liked me because she even asked me when I wanted to transfer, she goes, who is going to tell me what's going on here? If you're not here, who's going to, who's going to report to me of what these staff members are doing? You know, like she actually didn't like what she was seeing there either. And, um, I said, well, there's other inmates that know what goes on here. And she goes, yeah, but I need somebody that's going to be honest with me. You know, you're, you come in here and you tell me you're, you don't sugarcoat it. You're, you're honest about it. And she actually encouraged, liked the fact that I would write people up because it held the staff accountable for things that were supposed to be, be done. Like I said, anyway, without writing them up. But uh, she tried to help me and my unit team tried to help me get a furlough instead of going on the airlift that day. They tried to get me off the airlift even. But it was the warden, the higher, the AW, the warden wasn't there, but the AW and higher ups that would not allow it. I think they just like, oh no, we got the opportunity to get rid of this one. Uh, get her out of here before she writes up someone else. And that's how I felt. They were, they were happy to see me go because 
not many people have the guts to hold them accountable. And like I said, they tried to intimidate me at first and they tried to write me up and do things, but they couldn't shut me up because I wasn't going away. I wasn't going mm -hmm. to back down. And once they saw that, they actually didn't retaliate as much. I mean, they did still do some stuff, but they, they backed off a little bit. I think hoping that I would uh, stop reporting what they were doing. And just yeah. every now and then, if I reported something really big like the Priya, they would, you know, pull something again, call me in, put me in the shoe. But for the most part, you know, I kind of walked around and they pretty much left me alone uh, for, the, for the most part after, you know, that original time that I was locked in the shoe. So, so I, I have got a off to Oklahoma on, on, on the Con Air thanks to, mm -hmm. uh, I believe, what was my reporting of that Priya not backing down. So we only have a few minutes left here, Lynn. I know, I mean, you have a lot a lot of stuff to talk about, and I, ho I hope you do write that book, and then I'll have you back on to talk about that. But um, I do want to hear about how you did get, um, I guess, home confinement at the end here and what that process was. I know there was, it wasn't easy. You were supposed to, I know I was talking to Holly about it. You were supposed to be released, and it didn't happen. Um, so take us through uh, what happened there, that whole process. Well, once I got to Oklahoma, there was some things they weren't doing right either. So I wrote them up as well. The thing about Oklahoma was that I saw that was different. When you wrote them up, they were Johnny on the spot. They fixed it. Uh, really? You know, they were serving us food past the discard time. They fixed it. They brought us our clean blankets. They, anything I wrote up, they fixed. I wrote them up. Uh, to ask that they put in for my halfway house home confinement because I believe that I qualified by what was the criteria was for the CARES Act. And it's funny that I'm one of only three women that got out of there. I also wrote them up for preferential treatment because they were getting men out. They weren't getting the, the females out. And the other two females that got out of there had lawyers. But what I did was I wrote a BP-8 and I told them that I qualified and I wanted them to put it in or I was going to continue up the chain of command and I would go all the way to Washington and let them know that they were giving preferential treatment to men there and helping them get out, but not the women. So I finally got a date and I was supposed to leave on May the 14th. They, they brought me paperwork. I put my BP eight in on, on April 1st, writing them up for not, um, for not putting in paperwork for women. They brought me paperwork to sign for halfway house home confinement on the seventh. So six days later, Finally, I got, after my husband called Washington and a few other places trying to find out where this paperwork was because they were telling me, oh, it's at Aliceville, which is where I was mm -hmm. headed to. They were telling me, oh, it may be back at Bryan. I mean, they didn't, they didn't know what to do at Oklahoma. It was a lack of preparation on their part to understand, you know, they're a transfer center. They're not used to people getting out there. So it was a lack of their staff really not knowledge is what it was. So anyway, I found out I had a date on um, May the 14th, and I found out 24 days before May the 14th. So I found out like on the 21st of April, I believe, that I had this date. So we were quarantined in our unit where they came around, they took our temperature twice a day, but it wasn't a true quarantine because everybody was out with each other. The orderlies were out when one group was out and the other group was out, and then they would come to your door and slide ice under it and different things. So it was never a true quarantine. So the night before I was supposed to go home on May the 13th, um, what looked like a SWAT team of marshals came to my, um, my room and they, um, they told me that, that they were, 
taken me to um, out of there and they tell me to come with them. And I'm like, well, what's going on? I'm supposed to go home tomorrow. They wouldn't tell me. They tell me to get my stuff and come on. They waited till I got outside the unit. They took my stuff for me and handcuffed me and told me they were taking me to the shoe. And I'm like, what? My husband's already in Oklahoma City. He's at a, at a hotel room right now. He's already driven, you know, from Arkansas to pick me up. And they told me, well, you were not quarantined by CDC guidelines. Okay. So it was me and another lady that was supposed to go home on May the 24th or 25th. So her 14 days were coming up. She was going to miss one day. But me, I was just going home the next morning. So they took us up to the shoe and the guards up there are going like, what are we supposed to do with they, they didn't even know they were, they didn't even understand why we were being put up there to be quarantined. They put us in this filthy, nasty cell that still had other occupants like medical cups and things in it. Like, oh, and it was gosh. filthy. And so I'm like, wait a minute, you're taking me out of a clean place. I've been since February 28th, the cell I've been in by myself basically. And you're going to bring me up here and put me in the shoe in the men's shoe at that with a nasty, filthy shoe and other people. And what in, what is going on here? So anyway, they, they put us in there on the Do you think that the- was just incompetence or was that more yes. retaliation? No, incompetence. Yeah. So they put, they put us in there on the, the night of the 13th. They take our temperature, and an hour later, they come back and take our temperature again, and they call it a day of quarantine, okay? So we've been in the unit the whole time. I went out and made a phone call that day. I was on email. I was exposed to other women in the unit. And so they bring me up and put me in this nasty, dirty cell. I'm talking about max security to where you have to be handcuffed, like put your hands through a door and get handcuffed before they'll even unlock the door. You're not allowed to have hygiene. You're not allowed to have a comb. You're not allowed to have a trash can even. Now, and this other lady was also camp status, and she was community custody as well. She was a white-collar person as well. So we're both the the two. The two of you were in the same cell? Yes. Okay. And she had been in a room by herself and I'd been in a room by mm-hmm. myself. Okay. So they put us in a room together. And so anyway, they tell me I'm not going home the next day. They didn't bother to call my husband. He shows up the next morning. And that's when he finds out he can't pick me up. So he has to drive all the way back to Arkansas, you know, by with not picking me up. So anyway, we're held there for, well, 13 days and a night. They still did not quarantine us for 14 days. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the doctors, though, was very upset that they had taken us to the shoe. And a lot of the staff, they were, you know, really good to us because they knew we were not in the shoe for bad behavior, although we were being treated the same way as shoe inmates. Like I said, the handcuffing, we only got to make two phone calls a week. We couldn't leave out of the cell. You know, there was a shower in there, except for it was for a man. So the shower curtain, like, started at your waist. What good is that to me, you know, a woman? Mm -hmm. It was just things like that. We had to wear men's clothing. They were just huge on us. Um, of course, the whole time I was in Oklahoma, I was in men's clothing. In fact, Brian, Texas gave us men's clothing. You know, I don't know what's up with making women wear the men's clothing. but yeah, They're buying right. flat screen TVs for themselves, but they can't get uh, Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, like the the clothes they were giving us were way so big. Like the first three days we were in the shoe, they didn't even have a towel for us. They gave us a 4X t-shirt to draw off with. So I was like, okay, it was brand new. I mean, it was what was so weird to me was the food was better in the shoe because we were in the men's area. It was better than what they'd been feeding me in the women's area, even for the men that were in uh, disciplinary. Wow. We're getting better food. 
So anyway, I was, I was kept in the shoe and the day that he came to get me the next time I was told by one staff member one day and then another, another day. So I had told my husband, you better bring some extra clothes because I'm getting told I'm leaving on, on, you know, the 27th and I'm getting told I'm leaving on the 28th. So if I was you, I'd book a two night hotel room and just plan on spending the night, you know, another night because I don't know if you're picking me up, you know, and in fact, the first time he came on the 27th, he was turned away and told to go back to his hotel room. Mm-hmm. And then I raised Kane and they finally, that doctor called him and said, come back up here. We're going to get her out of here somehow today. So they gave me a furlough on the 27th to come home. And I really didn't really get out to the 28th, but they went ahead and let me go the day, that day before. But I will, I will say this. I'm going to say I have to give props to the medical staff at Oklahoma. They, they were really good people. The medical staff was very attentive and um, it, it, they did care for the inmates. They did not mistreat you like the, the medical staff did at Bryan, Texas. And so I will say Oklahoma, even though it's a higher level security and the staff there, I think with COVID-19 were overwhelmed. They didn't follow CDC guidelines. They, you know, they didn't, they, they've not put anybody else in the shoe to quarantine them. That's a woman. I do know that from, from other inmates that are left behind, but you know, I think they were just flying by the seat of their pants, to be honest. I don't think they did that to punish us. I don't think they were trying to, to harm us in any way. And, and, and I do believe that it was just not thought through very well. They, mm-hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't done correctly. But, I, again, you know, I didn't see the same bad behavior there that I saw at Bryan, Texas. Yeah, well, Lynn, uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Um, I know there's there's a lot more to talk about, but uh, hopefully, you know, my goal here today with you is I wanted you to share, really give people an idea of just the, the corruption and um, the violation of rights, as you talked about. And you were so instrumental, as you talked about it, in calling it out and calling it out and Take, taking the risk upon yourself, really, the retali- the risk of retaliation. So I, I definitely uh, give you a lot of respect for that. And, you know, I do want to have you back on down the line. I hope you do write that book and because uh, the story needs to be told. So any, uh, any parting words or anything you want to uh, plug or talk about uh, before I let you go? I'll just leave your listeners with this. The, the federal uh, criminal justice system is corrupt from start to finish. The prosecutors are corrupt. The BOP is corrupt. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like to be on probation. I will say this pre-trial. I did not see corruption with the pre-trial staff. I hope the probation staff is, is, is nice. I, d- I will give Little Rock uh, City of Faith Halfway House props. Their staff are good. They don't seem to be corrupt over there. The people that have me on the ankle monitor that's monitor, monitoring my home confinement. But any the, the prosecutors, the BOP, staff at the BOP, the whole system needs to be looked at. The, the admin remedy policy, Congress, somebody needs to, to rewrite that because it's, it's not advantageous for inmates to take that process, even though that is their right to take it because of the retaliation and the way it's held up. And you just can't hardly get anywhere with it. And staff knows this. So I do believe there needs to be some widespread investigation of PREA and other things within the BOP. And I hope to bring a voice to that in the future 
Um, I'm definitely going to be out there talking about it and I'm not going to just sit idle now that I'm home and do like a lot of people do and be like, okay, I've already had that. I'm, I'm going to come home and forget about what happened because unfortunately I left a lot of women behind and most of them that are camp level don't even deserve to be there. They could be benefiting society at home, working on ankle monitor, home confinement, something else. If they're minimal security, uh, they, they just it's no reason for these camps. Mm-hmm. But anybody that believes it's Camp Cupcake or Camp Fed or any of the things that you hear, wrong. Women are not leaving their better. The psychological damage I've seen to some of the women, the scars that they get from being there. I mean, just being in the shoe, the men's shoe, and I won't even tell you what all I, I went through in there, but just that that was psychologically damaging to me. Out of my 27 months in federal prison, I never once had to take any kind of anxiety medicine or anything. But those 14 days in that environment, I had Mm. to ask for something because I was having panic attacks. So, you know, some of the things women are going through are uncalled for. And I do not believe this is making for better reentry into society for women that are going through these kinds of things, especially women that aren't strong enough to speak up and speak out and maybe don't have the education to even understand BOP policy. So I hope that your listeners will become advocates and, you know, write your senators, your congressmen, ask for change. There needs to be some reform going on and, you know, become a voice, be a voice for what needs to happen. Don't just sit idly by and think that you can't make a difference, because if we all pull together, we can. Absolutely. Write your uh, your senator, your congressman, share this podcast, go rate and review this podcast so more people get to see it. And uh, Lynn, thank you again for coming back on the show. Read my blog, Inside the Walls on WordPress. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening to today's show, another great episode of Felony Friday. As you know, Felony Friday is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, we kick off every single week with our Monday show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, liberty, swearing, and just just good fun. Check that out. You can get all three shows by subscribing for the great price of $0 per month. You get everything that we have here. So please check everything out. And uh, if you like it all, please think about, consider supporting what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. A great way to do that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Liberty. Another great way of doing that is by uh, following, liking, sharing our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at Lions of Liberty. And the discussion forum where all the greatest and brightest minds go to to talk about politics, liberty, everything that's happening in the world today, current events, the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can find by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of Facebook, clicking search, comes up, say you want to join it, answer a question, bam, you're in, and the rest is just going to be a great journey for you. So check that out. That's all I have for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.